Great to have you here. My name is Pastor Brad Stahl, a senior pastor here at First Baptist, and you have a bulletin in front of you. You have an outline that's in there as well. Please take those out. Um, as you can see from the front cover, we are continuing our series, Partner With Us, uh, where we're looking at what it means to be committed to God's hope for the world through the local church. You'll see on the front of the bulletin even, it says, Discovering God's World-Changing Call Upon First Baptist Church. And I want to say thank you for Pastor uh, Derek, who last week did such a great job in talking about the attitude that we're supposed to have as a church partner or a church member. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the commitment that we're supposed to have as well and the importance of that. Um, and can I just say thank you to so many of you who are stepping up and getting involved and even taking that step of formal membership. Uh, we have over 70 people who are signed up for that class next Sunday. Uh, I would hope that if you have not signed up for that, that you would today. Um, final count comes, I think, on Wednesday midday if you want to do it online, but you can do it at one of the booths today. I, I, over 70 of you saying, we're committed, we're in, let's tie the knot. You accepted my marriage proposal from a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, now, now, I joked a little bit about that, but it's true that really the imagery that we have in Scripture is God being that groom and the church, we, the body, being the bride, the bride of Christ, the people, the church that he's called. And um, here's what I struggle with, though. I think many times we think of that picture of a bride as an Americanized-type bride, one of those brides who maybe even is, is, is like wanting every detail just the right way. Because we know in American culture, who's the American wedding about? It's about the bride. Yeah, if you're a groom, you just show up. Show up in your tux. You're good to go, right? It's about the bride. And, I mean, many of you maybe even have seen that show, Bridezilla, right? Where, where you know, combining Godzilla and the brides that are you know, just strange brides who are just controlled. And it needs to be like this. It needs to be like this. It needs to be like this. And I got to thinking about that, that sometimes in the church culture in America, we take on that kind of a mindset. That it needs to be this way. I need to have my way in the church. It can't be changed. We need to do it this way. In fact, uh, a few weeks ago, when I started this series, I read from the book, I'm a Church Member. Uh, and our deacons and our staff has gone through the book this week, or excuse me, this year. And let me just read a little bit more, because he draws a comparison, not necessarily to a bride in the way that we think in America, but to children sometimes in church. He says, Christians can sometimes act just like demanding children and those who want their way. Temper tantrums in churches may not include church members lying on the floor kicking and screaming, but some come close, he says. But the strange thing about church membership and partnership is that you actually give up your preferences when you join. He says, don't get me wrong. There may be much about your church that you like a lot, but you are not there to meet, uh, you're not there to meet your needs. You are there to meet the needs of others. You are there to serve. You are there to give. You are there to sacrifice. He says, get the picture and it's so true. That's why we put this day before you out in the Welcome Center, out on the walkways of all the different areas that you can get involved. This is not a church where we say sit on the sidelines. This is a church where we say get involved. 
We don't want the staff doing anything. We would be a horrible church if our staff did everything. We want the laity involved, the people. You do not have to be a member to serve. Specific areas, you do have to be a member to serve. But we hope that you would take that step, get committed, and also find a place to serve, not sit on the sidelines. Now, what's kind of unique about that is that that confusion about the mentality of what church is like goes all the way back to the days of Jesus. The 12 disciples, in fact, had a tendency to fight with each other. I don't know if you remember the story. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, there's an interesting passage. This is in your outline as well, or it's going to be up on the screen. Mark chapter 9, looking at verse 33 through 35. Um, there was a time when the disciples of Jesus were, were fighting over all things. Who's the greatest? No, I'm greater than, no, you're, I'm greater, nope, you're not, I'm greater. Literally, they are having a me first fight. And Jesus overhears this on the way. Now, I don't know if he overheard it or he's just God, so he knew what they were talking about. But he surprised the disciples. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 33, he says, um, when they all came to a house, they had come to Capernaum. He says, when they all came to the house, he asked them, uh, what? discussing along the way dun 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 they were kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest so he sat down and he called the twelve and can I just say this is probably the first come to Jesus meeting right I mean literally this is a come to Jesus meeting. He gets the 12 disciples all together. I, in my mind, I have it kind of pictured in this room, in this house, pulls them together, pulls up seats, probably more likely sat on the floor because that's what they did a lot in the biblical days. He's like, okay, guys, hear this and hear this well. He says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and what's the word here? And what? And servant. Of all. Guys, he looks, I'm sure, around the room, looks at him face to face, eye to eye. Guys, you got to know this about my kingdom. It is not about who's the greatest, it is not about you. It's about being last, it's about serving. I mean, would you have not loved to have been a fly on the cloak of like one of those disciples, like listening in on that kind of uh, time? I mean, he is just like, ouch, stepping on toes, snap, or whatever you do with that kind of thing. He's like, whoa, there it is. And, and, and Jesus, I mean, he nails him, right? He's like, I know what you were talking about. Get this, understand this. And, you know, as a reader, we're like, yeah, Jesus, you go, you go, until we realize that is not just for the disciples 2,000 years ago, folks. That's for me. That's for us. Jesus is saying the same thing. I'm supposed to be last, not first. I'm supposed to be a servant instead of seeking to be the one who served. You might say, okay, well, what, what, what's the biblical connotation of servant? Let me, let me explain a little bit about this. In the New Testament alone, 57 times the word servant appears. 57 times. Now, sometimes it refers to the official, official role, like a servant in a household. But many other times it refers to the role that we are to assume as followers of Jesus. We're supposed to be servants. And the word serve, that verb, 
appears 58 times in the New Testament. I mean, if you don't get the picture from that, the New Testament scripture talks about serving. That's what's important. Jesus said, we must be last of all and be a servant of all. Now, that is much different than many people have a connotation of trying to get their way, let's just say, in church. And this is not right. This is too loud. Oh, you didn't have this in place. No, it should have been done this way. We demand our preferences. We demand our desires. We want to do it the way we've always done it before. And Jesus come along here and says, no, you are there to serve. I'll tell you someone who that rocked his world. The Apostle Paul. You read through the New Testament and you see he's got it together. He is religiously head and shoulders above everyone else and he knows it. He knows scripture backwards and forward. He is a leader. He is well respected. In fact, he's going out and he's hunting down these Christians because they don't know God's word. I do. I am called. And all of a sudden Jesus meets him and says, Paul, what are you doing? You're persecuting me. You're destroying me. You're destroying my people. Paul's name was Saul, changed to Paul now. Paul, let's get this right. And you see how he radically changes his life. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, look at what it says. Paul says, I became a what, First Baptist? A what? A servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. His life changed radically when he realized that. And let me just say this. You will never find any joy in church membership. You will never find any joy in church. In fact, I'll go so far as to say you will never find any joy in life. If you view it as being all about you, seeking to get your own way, paradoxically, the time when you give that up, you will find your greatest joy when you choose to be last. True joy means giving up our rights and our preferences and serving, serving, serving. That's what God has called us to do. And, and, and churches should not have sacred cows. I hope we don't have any sacred cows around here at First Baptist. I was talking to another pastor friend who lives out of um, our town. He serves at another church. And I could just tell he was down a little bit. We were talking about some stuff. I'm like, what's up? What, what, what's going on? He says, man, church, church work can be tough sometimes. I said, yeah, what, what, what took place? He said, you know, we had this, um, this Coke machine, soda machine, that was out in the middle of the walkway um, up against the building. And ever since I got here a couple years ago, he said, it, it's been there. Um, and yet, it's never even been plugged in. He said, nobody uses it. It has cobwebs in it. So he said they discussed it as staff, what they should do with it, and they just moved it. All heck broke loose at that church, he said. People were saying, you can't do that. Heads will roll. We're going to fire you. You've all, it's always been there. It has to stay there. See, look, it's all old and dirt and dusty under there. It's always been right there. Bring it back. He just said, you know, it just sapped my joy. We're a Coke machine. And yet you think about sometimes we do get that way, don't we? We become bridezilla. Needs to be my way, my preference. This is the way I think it should be. There is a difference between rowing a boat and rocking a boat. Both have a lot of motion. One will end up at the finish line. The other will end up at the bottom of the lake. Rowing a boat or rocking a boat? 
And folks, I want to be people. I want to be a pastor who's leading by saying, get in and row. And let's row together. Let's, row. let's not stand up and rock. Let's row. A couple of weeks ago, I taught on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, <clears throat> where Paul describes the church um, to function as a body. And he said, some are heads, some are hands, some are feet, some are eyes, some are ears. Remember I said, there's no armpit in there. Don't let that be you, all right? Uh, no Baptist belly buttons as well because they're not good for anything. That's not what we do. Be a body part that works, that functions. And we talked about the cells in a body functioning together and working, working together. And one of our church members approached me after the service. And they said, you know, Pastor Brad, it seems to be that a cell that doesn't operate with the rest of the body is called a cancer cell. Oh, snap, right? Whatever that is. Whoa. Yeah, I said, I said you said it, not me. But I said, can I quote you? Do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. That we're, we're to work together. Our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears, our organs, our cell, every cell is to work together. And so I have to ask the question of us. What do you do with gossip? What do you do uh, with following church leadership when that may be difficult? What, what do you do when you have a godly opinion, which that's okay, great, state it. But do you state it in spite? Or do you state it in love? What do you do? When you bring up concern, is it because you have God's, God's, God's goodness for people behind it? Or is it because you kind of have your own will and desire behind it? You know, Paul said to a church in a city called Philippi. Look at what he said here. This is out of Philippians chapter uh, 2. Here's what he says. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Wow. There it is. Man, Paul is going right after it. He's maybe seeing an attitude develop within a church in a city called Philippi. And he says, hold on a second, folks. And some of the words he writes right after this are some of the most profound words in all of Scripture. Talking about how Jesus emptied himself, became one of us, became a servant to us. But don't forget the context that he writes this in. Let me read those words again. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Paul writes that, and he sits back, and he says, God, what else do you want me to say? And God puts it upon his heart, and he says, let each of you look not only to your own interests. Ah, yeah, that's good, that's good. He keeps writing, but also to the interests of others. Not about me, not about you. It's about, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through you and me? And then he writes those words that have been professed and proclaimed in church for all of history. He says, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, have this attitude, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus emptied himself to become like one of us. He said, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a, what? oh, what's the word there? A form of what? Servant. There it is. One of those 57 times. Jesus became a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a and what God's church is here to do is God's church is here to help form that kind of character in your life, in my life. We may be different, but we come together, we work together. We may be imperfect people, but we serve a perfect God. Amen? Amen, we do. So that's what we talk about. The church, the local church, the body working together. That's why I'm asking for your commitment to the body. In fact, uh, two weeks ago, I did not get to finish uh, a box that was on the back part of the outline. Flip your outline over. I told you I was going to finish it. Let me finish it today. Okay, I asked the question there. Why should I join, be a part of the membership, the partnership at First Baptist? Let me tell you why I think it's worth your time. It's because partnership, you can write these fill-ins, says I belong here. This is my church. In fact, you know the best way to measure that? When you're in conversation with someone who's not a part of First Baptist or you're discussing things, when you say, well, at my church, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, ah, ding, there's a sign. Not just at that church, but when you start saying at my church. And we've come to that place. I think it's time for you to say, okay, let's join, let's jump in. Let's be a part of what they're doing here at the church. Secondly, I said partnership says we share the same ministry goals. We share those goals. We're unified, wanting to see people reach with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. There's a good friend who emailed me um, uh, a few weeks ago when I was on vacation and said, hey, can you visit a friend of mine? He said, he said it wasn't just me. He said, does your staff or do you have people at the church who go and visit people in, in the hospital? Email back, and I said, absolutely. Pastor Daryl, who passed away um, just a while ago, usually would head that up, but, but we also have a team of people who do that, but I'll go, and I'll have our staff go. And so we've been doing that. We've been visiting this man. Uh, Pastor Stephen has gone a few times. I even saw him yesterday. And um, it was great to get to talk with him and just share things with him. And, 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 and the joy about this was, here's why the friend asked us to do it. Because this friend said about 10, 15 years ago, that's what someone at First Baptist did for me and got me to start coming to your church. He said, I'd like that for my friend as well. I'm praying for him. He doesn't know the Lord. I want him to. And he doesn't care if it's a staff member. He doesn't care if it's a senior pastor. He would just love to see someone go and visit him. And that's what we even have a ministry out there where you can sign up to go visiting people. And many of them are shut-ins from our church who don't get, don't get a chance to come to our church now. But others may be visited who we just go and we say, hey, we're from First Baptist Church wanting to bless you. I'm glad a friend would look for a friend to do that, for his church to come alongside. We had a great conversation with the gentleman yesterday and with his brother as well. We're unified in wanting people to see that God, the message of Jesus Christ, changes everything. Let me give you another reason. Partnership says, I accept responsibility for a group of fellow believers in the family. 
for a group of fellow believers in the family. That's why we encourage you, get into a Sunday school class, get into one of those Wednesday night electives, get into a prayer group that meets on Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock right down here, or another group that meets a men's Bible study that I lead at UJ's at 6 o'clock on Tuesday morning. Get into one of our community groups that's going to be starting up here very, very soon. Get into a Wednesday night elective in about 10 days. Jump in, get mentor, get into a women's group on Tuesday morning or Wednesday night. Jump in, get involved. It is not time to sit on the side. It's time to grow, it's time to go. And if you say, well, you know what, I've been through scripture a lot, I know a lot of it. Someone else then needs to glean from you. You need to help lead, you need to help teach, you need to help them grow in their faith. And when you join in, that's what we're teaching. We're saying it's not to sit on the sideline, it's to get involved. Fourth thing I wrote down was partnership says I'm accountable to mature brothers and sisters in Christ for my walk with God. I don't want to just do this on my own. I think I mentioned uh, no Lone Ranger Christians here. In Scripture, the New Testament does not describe a Lone Ranger Christian. You do it with others. And then the last point there, partnership says I accept responsibility for how things are done around here. In other words, I, I get to approve a yearly budget. When, when you're a formal member, now here's your privileges. You also get to approve a budget. You get to talk about and elect church leaders. And you get to be a part of the group that says, should we buy properties such as the Scottish Rite? Which, just to end the time, let me go that direction for just a moment. Because this is a decision that we as a church need to come across. And I don't want to do it with um, fear. I don't want to do it without much prayer. And so let me just explain to you where we are as a church. Most of you know that for 20 or so years at First Baptist, we've desired the property just to our west. Not only for the future of our ministry, but for the present. You know, we talk about parking and how difficult that can be if we don't get to park on that property. Um, and yet there's also incredible ministry that we could do in the midst of those buildings, um, whether it be Bible studies or concerts or worship services or whatever they may be, just loads of things that we could do. So that property has been prayed over. It's been claimed for the Lord. We've just said, God, in your timing, if you so see to, for us to own that property and use it for your glory, we will be walking with you and listening to your voice. Well, I mentioned about four or five weeks ago that Scottish Rite had put the building on the market. They wanted to see who in Stockton wanted to purchase that. Um, we have first right of refusal on that property. So anybody who puts in an offer, they will offer that highest bidder to us. Um, we were praying, obviously, that nobody else would care about the property. We would just love to be able to purchase that. Well, um, there were four to six other organizations that did want to purchase the property. And um, uh, just this last week, we find out, found out that the highest bidder came in at a price tag of $3.5 million. Uh, and so having first right of refusal, we looked at that and said, okay, God, what do you want us to do with that? Because we know you own it all. $3.5 million to you is nothing, nothing. So we have a diaconate board uh, that makes the move first that you all have elective. Um, and then we have membership that would need to approve that vote of any property. And so we start with the diaconate board. And, and I'll be very honest, I was struggling with that price tag. Because we did not think that it would go up that high. And I said, God, is that our answer? Is that our time now where we are on the sidelines with this one and say, okay, we're out. Are you speaking through that? Um, do we just, you know, as deacons say, nope, we're done, we're through, we're out, we can't go to that place? And so we put the word out to all the deacons. We said, let's start fasting, let's start praying. And we did as well, I did as well. 
And um, let me tell you what, for me, what came to my heart. Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, I was fasting throughout, and very clearly I heard the Lord saying to me, Brad, do not limit me, and do not limit my people. I am still a mountain-moving God. And if I want that mountain to be moved, who are you to limit me and say no right now? Who are you to limit God's people, God's church, and say no right now? Very clearly, he says, walk through this process. I own all the cattle on the hillside. Every creature in the forest is mine. That's under my control right now. And if I want you to have it, I'll get you it. And so I quickly said, God, I'm sorry for the fear. I don't want to be a slave to fear. And as the diaconate board, as we prayed over that, as we came to a meeting on Thursday night, we came to that conclusion that, yes, let's unanimously, and the diaconate board unanimously voted to sign a letter of intent to purchase the Scottish Rite, which allows us now as a body to come together, as the church to come together, and to pray over that, to grapple with that, to say, what can we do with that property? And then, ultimately, final approval of vote that we have here as a church body uh, coming up in the next few weeks. And so, that's my desire for all of you, that you all would begin to pray for that. And say, God, what are you doing in our midst? And, and, and I just give you this, that if you are a formal member, then you have the privilege of getting to vote on that and getting to have a formal say in that. Even if you're not, though, we invite you to come to, write this down if you would, on August 14th. Not this next Monday, but the following Monday. We'll have just kind of a town hall meeting. Um, we'll discuss the issue. We'll talk about the vision. I'll share some more of this in the services next Sunday as well. Um, but we'll talk about the vision uh, of what God could do in that property and, and some of the consequences one way or the other. Um, and then if that kind of proceeds, then we'll have a church vote coming up in the next two or three weeks to say, God... Where are you leading in this? But, but I challenge you again, please be praying. Please be fasting. This is huge, not only for the ministry right now of First Baptist, but for future generations to come. God has great vision for what he wants done at First Baptist. He has great vision for us. World-changing call that he has in our lives. And I and our deacons just said, who are we to limit God right now? And who are we to limit God's people? from what they can do, from what we can do as a church. So please, pray, step up. I am thrilled, just as I'm ending this time, because I want to get you out there to the Welcome Center in the walkway. I'm thrilled that so many of you are partnering with us. If you're not in the formal membership, please find the table there. You can sign up. Come be with us next Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon. I'm thrilled so many of you, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you, have signed up for ministries. We just know there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you more who have not. And so we encourage you to go out there afterwards and sign up in the midst of that. I'm thrilled that so many of us now, though, are understanding that it's not about me. In fact, would you say that with me? It's not about me. Say it with me. It's not about me. God's saying it's about me and what I want you to do with the giftings, with the skills, with the abilities that I've given to you. So First Baptist is not a time to sit on the sidelines. It's a time to jump in. It's a time to say, God, what do you have us to do? 
And whether it be ministry every Sunday, whether it be ministry of teaching, whether it be ministry of serving children's ministry or other things like that, whether it be giving to the ministry to go forward, whether it be saying, God, you've laid it upon my heart to give a major gift in this area. I don't know what it is, but God is saying, First Baptist, together as a church, we do this together. Don't limit me. And don't limit my people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you for an opportunity that we have to be on your team. For an opportunity we have to serve and to see your work go forth. And so, Lord, forgive us if we ever operate out of a spirit of fear. Lord, we are not, we are not slaves to that fear. God, may we just run. Even today, as we talk about signing up and being involved in a ministry, Lord, I'm sure many of us are saying, how would I have any more time in my schedule? I'm so busy. I'm so impacted already. Lord, let us not have a fear of that. If we sign up to be committed, to jump in, you're going to dictate that. You're going to allow us to do what you want us to do for priorities in our lives. Lord, may fear never stop us. May it never paralyze us. God, we want to keep walking forward. We want to keep running after you. And so we throw every hindrance aside, including whatever fear might tangle us, whatever sin might be in the way. And Lord, we keep our eyes focused upon you. Lord, we don't want to limit you. And God, I certainly don't want to limit your people. So God, use us. Use us in great ways. We love you. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.